Hello, everybody. I'm Christoph Barth, a partner in Linklater's Global Antitrust and Foreign Investment Practice based in Düsseldorf, Germany. And welcome to the next episode in our new Global Foreign Investment Podcast series. And throughout this series, we'll be joined by speakers from regulators around the globe to bring the view from across the table on topical issues, interesting quirks of their regimes, and insights into what to expect of reviews in their jurisdictions. Following our latest podcast with Chris Blairs and Andy Omerud Cloak from the UK's National Security and Investment Team, I'm really pleased to be joined today by Florentine Kessler-Grobe, who heads up one of the two units in charge of foreign investment screening at the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action. Welcome, Florentine. Hello. Uh, Germany has a fairly established foreign investment screening regime that has been in force for more than 12 years. However, the regime underwent major changes in the last couple of years and its scope has been significantly expanded. Florentina, considering that the number of cases has gone through the roof more recently, how many cases did you review last year and how do you keep up with the increasing workload? Yes, hello. Um, I'm very pleased to be here and um, indeed we reviewed uh, 306 national cases. Um, that's quite a lot and the highest number we have had so far and um, plus about 250 EU cases, cases that come from other member states. So we had quite a caseload last year and um, I think uh, we try to keep up with the work. We have a lot of a very young, motivated new colleagues in our teams. And so I think we we do keep up, but it's quite a lot of work, I must say. I can I can well imagine. And uh, well, in, in, indeed, I understand you got some additional staffing over the last year. So your, your team has increased and obviously you've split into two rather than one unit, right? Yes, yes. I think um, we have significantly increased our staff when it comes to ministry or um, the public administration. It's not so easy to get new personnel. And I think when I started here in 2019, there were five people handling the cases um, in our ministry. And um, as of today, we have 15 people and um, we're expecting even more. So um, that's quite a significant increase, I think. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, Germany doesn't have a sort of dedicated foreign investment screening authority like like some other countries have. Rather, you and your team are, are fronting the process towards transaction parties and you're then coordinating with other authorities be, behind the scenes. How is case review organized at the MOE and do you have some form of sector specialization or specialization in terms of the origin of an investor within your unit? Um, we have um, case handlers. Uh, most of our colleagues are case handlers. Um, some have a specification concerning countries um, of origin or uh, branches, but um, the cases, they are very diverse and um, almost each one is unique. You always have unique problems. So um, I think we try to um, be diverse as well and not have so many specifications. And I think we discuss a lot among each other and um, try to handle each case um, in a way that's supposed to be handled. But I think 
as I said, we're around, I think, 10 or 11 case handlers at the moment. Um, we cannot do a specification for everything. Um, I think if we had 100 people, then that would be possible. But at the moment, um, we try to handle it as it is. We, we take that as an ask for, for more staffing to be added to your unit. But yeah. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Um, Florentina, in, uh, what we often hear from, from investors is that they are quite concerned about the potential duration of regulatory reviews. And I mean, obviously, in particular, at a time when sort of the number of cases is, is peaking, since obviously the duration adds quite some uncertainty to the transaction timetable. And I mean, specifically for Germany, there has been some talk about this more recently um, as to that Germany can be a very long process. Can you maybe explain a bit how the review process is structured in Germany and how frequently cases go into an in-depth review, so beyond the initial two months review period? Yes, of course. I think that's something we always um, hear. And um, if the media um, is full of our um, cases, then they always it, it's always said that um, we take too long. And um, I have to contradict that, actually, because um, when I look at the numbers of 2021, for example, um, I can say that 87% of the cases were cleared within the two months. So um, that's quite a high number. And um, I have to concede, though, that there are, there are critical cases that last longer and that even last significantly longer. But um, the vast majority is cleared within the two months period. And um, I think when it comes to the reforms you mentioned in the beginning, um, our um, the duration of our processes have improved significantly um, and um, we have a different regime there now and um, I think um, when we go into an in-depth review which um, we do as I said only in 13% of the cases in 2021 um, then we have an additional four months and we try not to exceed um, these four months. Maybe I tell you a little bit what happens when a new case comes in so you understand what we're doing and why we take um, so long when it comes to cases that go in in, in depth review. When a, when a case comes in we record it for sure we have a database and everything must be recorded very thoroughly then um, we find a case handler um, and he or she involves um, the other ministries that are concerned. We have um, to have their feedback because they have the expertise they have the experts, they have the know-how and that takes around I think three to four weeks because we do handle a lot of cases at the same time so we cannot tell them okay um, you need to give your feedback tomorrow so they have three to four weeks and uh, once everyone has given their feedback um, we decide um, what happens next and um, if there are questions in between we we can go back to the lawyers or go back to the parties but that's about it and when a case is not critical then we can clear it after that and if one of the ministries says okay we want to go uh, into an in-depth review, we have more concerns, then we open up um, the formal procedure. Yeah, understood. That's, that's indeed very helpful. And I think sort of from that point onwards, it gets very diverse, right? So we are aware yes. of cases that then lasted a year or even longer, um, but obviously also cases that in an in-depth review were cleared nonetheless relatively swiftly. So I understand that is something that is hard to generalize. 
Yes, it yeah. is. Um, it is. And I think when it comes to a case lasting more than a year, that's a very rare exception, I would say. And even um, as you know, um, we can prolong our in-depth review um, for three months if it's very critical and very challenging. Um, we very, very rarely even do that. Yeah, we have done it in a couple of cases, but um, the number is below 10. Understood. No, that's that's very helpful. Many many thanks. And in in addition to the cases that are sort of voluntarily or, or mandatorily notified with you, I understand you're also conducting some market screening to investigate whether there are cases that might be of interest for you, but that have not been filed or um, where you at least challenge parties as to why no filing has been made. Is is that something you do regularly? And I mean. What are the considerations that are driving your decision whether or not to call in a case? Yes, I mean, over the last, um, I think, one to two years, um, we have been screening the market quite thoroughly, I would say. Um, we have databases, we read the newspaper, we are in close contact with the EU and other member states. So um, I think if we become aware of a deal um, that has not been notified with us, we try to find lawyers. That's the first step. Um, we Google and hope to find um, somebody that has been active in the deal. Um, if we find them, then we'll contact them because that's the easiest way. Um, they know what FDI screening is and they can tell us why they haven't filed or in the majority of our um, inquiries, they say, okay, I'm just writing the notification. It will be with you in a week or two. So um, that's what mostly happens if we become aware of a deal we haven't seen yet. If we cannot find lawyers, then uh, we speak to the target. There, I must say, they're usually quite startled because investment screening is not so well known in the public. So we have to explain um, ourselves. And that's usually more rough than, than when we talk to lawyers and um, I think in most of the cases um, we get a notification when we want want one and we very rarely pick up cases ex officio. We um, try to reach the lawyers, we try to be in contact with the target and if that everything um, it, it doesn't work then we do um, an ex officio screening but that's um, that's the exception. Yeah and, and I mean my, my personal impression is that Often enough, I mean, parties can simply explain to you if, if an assessment was done as to why the case was not notified. Yes. So it's something that can often be resolved quite quickly. Yeah. Yes, yes, very true. I mean, since, for instance, since October 2020, I mean, there is, besides the national layer, you're sort of directly handling the EU screening regulation on top as a as a further layer of, of complexity. Um, with the European Commission, with other EU member states then being notified of cases, they have the opportunity to opine on such cases. And I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you reviewed around 250 of those cases last year alone. Maybe you can share with our audience how the interaction between the EU Commission, other member states and, and with you plays out in practice. 
Yes, of course. If we enter into an in-depth review, um, we notify a case. Um, we do not notify every case we handle, just the ones we um, we screen more thoroughly. We notify them with the Commission and the Member States. Um, they have some days to review it and decide upon issuing a comment or an opinion. Um, sometimes they only have questions, then we might speak on the phone real quickly or they provide a document. So we are in quite close contact with them and um, because of the EU cooperation mechanism, I think our contact has um, improved and I think um, it's a very good working relationship and the system is up and running actually. What is it then, I mean, when you get cases notified from other authorities? I mean, first, I understand some other authorities are taking a broader approach in terms of notifying all cases they receive, as opposed to your approach, which is sort of much more selected way of effectively notifying 13% of the caseload you get. Um, when you receive such a notice, I mean, how often do you comment on such reviews? And I mean, what are relevant aspects you're looking into when commenting? Yeah, I think um, we do not comment very often, um, only if our industry is in some way affected. If, for example, the French company that is being bought has a client relationship to a German company, for example, yeah. And, um, and we only comment if we don't have a case of our own, which is very often the case. Um, because there's probably a mother company in, I would say, England that's being bought and then it has a French and German and Spanish subsidiary. Um, so we have our own investment screening going on and then we do not need to comment um, with our colleagues. And um, so um, that's one way um, we would, um, would comment and um, what we do a little more often if, um, um, if we have information to provide to our to another member state, um, then we might uh, just um, comment as well. And that information would be aspects like, you know, the investor from some other yes. cases. Uh, okay. Yeah. For example, yeah. Or we have more information on the product because we had other cases. Um, these two aspects are usually irrelevant. Yeah, no, understood. And I guess, I mean, our practical experience here is that often enough, I mean, the the forms which are notified are sort of rather bare bone. They don't entail a lot of facts and a lot of uh, information that would probably allow you to do your assessment. So I guess there are also a number of cases in which you would probably simply go back to the reporting authority and ask questions or have them ask questions to the transaction yes. parties. Yes, yes. That's Very true. Um, th there have been, I mean, some discussions and, and I guess some of them may be um, triggered also by, by the EU Commission as to whether it would actually be more efficient to have the European Commission directly conducting foreign uh, investment screening as opposed to 27 EU member states doing this on, on their own. I mean, do you have any, any views on that? I must say I was not active in our FDI screening unit when the EU directive was negotiated. Um, but what I heard um, is that even this very soft harmonization, you might call it, was being met with a lot of opposition. Um, so I personally do not see the Commission directly conducting foreign investment screening. Um, national security is still a question that every member state can best assess on its own. 
leaving Europe for a moment, and I mean, I understand there is sort of a, a very close dialogue amongst European regulators, um, including as a result of the EU screening regulation. I mean, do you also coordinate reviews with non-European regulators, say CFIUS or the UK SPICE? Um, I think, um, of course, we have bilateral relations and um, that is quite normal with like-minded and friendly states, um, but we do not share information on um, certain cases um, because of the business secrets that are involved there. Um, the EU directive is a method where you can share these secrets, but um, not with countries that are not um, in the EU. Well, that's... It's very clear, very helpful. Many thanks, Florentina. Um, I mean, foreign investment cases that are being notified with, with you or actually a, across the EU, they're assessed as to whether they cause a likely effect on public order or public security. And I mean, the bar for intervention has been lowered in recent years with the introduction of a prognosis element and the ability for a regulator to also consider the effects of a transaction in another EU member state or in certain programs of EU-wide interest. I mean, it seems that nonetheless prohibitions are still rather few uh, in, in nature, but there seems to be an increasing number of cases which require some form of behavioral undertaking, like a public law agreement or an insurance by the parties. Is that perception right, that foreign investment reviews are becoming stricter? Um, I would probably not say stricter. Um, in, in my view, um, the world has changed over the last five years or so. And I think we have to take this, these geopolitical and strategical changes into consideration. And um, we probably screen more professional and more thoroughly than a few years ago. Um, I think investment screening um, has become, has become um, quite attractive uh, over the last two to three years before it was quite a niche subject, I think. Mm -hmm. And understood. So it's um, you, you say your your review as such has maybe not become stricter, but but the world has tightened and uh, sort of there's more awareness of, of geopolitical aspects in the review. And that obviously then plays out in how you assess a case. Yes, of course. Yeah. OK, yeah. I mean, often enough, the, the business um, clients are running is, is fairly complex and uh, highly technical. So when you approach a case, um, do you involve technical experts, economists in the review, or how do you deal with these complexities? Yes, you're right. Um, we very often have cases that are very technical and um, we have to involve experts. Yeah, we cannot do that on our own. I mean, we have become quite um, expert at uh, some branches, but um, still we need these experts. Some of our involved ministries, they have technical experts, such as our MOD, for example. Um, we have our colleagues from BAFA, our Federal Office of Economics and Export Control. They are very not knowledgeable and very, very helpful. Um, economists, not so much, um, only if we need market studies, but that hasn't been the case so often. Yeah, so technical experts, almost in every case. Economists, uh, probably we, we can involve a little more even. Okay, but, but that means you're mostly relying on sort of governmental internal resources rather than sort of third-party industry experts? 
Yes, up until now, um, we mostly rely on our government experts. That's true. I would say um, it, it could help if we contacted industry experts. But um, as I said, there are always very sensitive business secrets involved. We would have to be very careful there. Yeah, And um, so we try to find experts in the government. Understood. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly something, I guess, for transaction parties to consider when sort of a case is is complex to sort of offer offer that involvement to you and sort of make appropriate arrangements. Yeah, understood. Um, the, under the law, you have, I mean, quite broad residual powers. So, I mean, you can you can not only review cases that uh, fall into the scope of sort of the mandatory sectors or that meet certain uh, thresholds, participation thresholds. I mean, you can also review cases that are below those thresholds and where there is additional influence over the targets, what the law refers to as atypical control. That is an instrument, obviously, that has only been introduced rather recently. So. Is that something you have made use of or, I mean, how regularly do you make use of those powers? Yes, um, I I think the questions around these clauses or these norms, um, they come to us very often um, and everybody wants to know um, if we apply them. And um, I must say we make use of them very, very rarely and um, we must apply these norms very restrictively in my opinion because, um, as you said, our thresholds are not met and um, that means we have it has to be a very very clear case yeah and um, we I think um, in my memory we have never said that the preconditions were met in these norms um, we um, from time to time um, you or your colleagues um, they ask about um, some sort of constellation and say oh would you see, say that this is an, an a typical control and um, in all of the cases we have said no I mean, very clear, and and I think I mean that's pretty much in line with, with the law, and maybe helpful also for investors who are concerned about sort of how expansionist Germany is. That effectively some of some of what's written in the law is is being applied sort of I mean, very diligently and only in in very few cases. Um, yeah, I mean coming coming back to what you mentioned about sort of sectors, um, there are obviously not many statistics uh, out there in terms of what you have done uh, in recent past. And, so, and many thanks for for sharing some details on these earlier. That there is one publication which reports that in 2020, a significant portion of I think a good 20% of your cases related to IT and telecoms followed by the healthcare sector, which then accounted for another close to 20%. Are there any trending sectors, so to say, in 2021? And is there something, I mean, where you can predict uh, in which areas you you have more cases than you used to have? Yes, I think in 2021, we have seen a lot of cases in the semiconductor industry, um, not very surprising. Um, I think uh, the health industry was still was also uh, a very regu regular customer. Um, we've seen some acquisitions in the gaming industry recently. 
And um, currently for 2022, my prognosis would be um, still semiconductors and um, everything that's linked with it in the supply chain, because as everybody knows, there's a shortage in um, in with some of the products, and um, so some countries try to become very um, become very autonomous in, in this branch. Yeah, so I mean, it's it goes back to the theme of vulnerability of supply chains and and sort of more self sufficiency, which I think is also a theme that comes out in the in the European Chips Act and the policy goals that that underpin the the Chips Act. Yeah, that's I mean very very clear and and very helpful. Many many things. I mean, looking looking forward, um, an evaluation of the more recent reforms is is planned for later this year. Do you have anything on your personal wish list for such reform? What should be adjusted in the regime to make it more suitable? Yes, a very good question. And um, my personal wish list, actually, the law has been amended many times. Yeah, you said so in the beginning. Um, some of the norms are very complex. They're hard to read, even for a lawyer or an experienced lawyer. If I had one wish, I would completely re renew everything. But I think that's definitely wishful thinking. Um, it will probably not come to that. But uh, you asked about my personal wish list. That would be it. Um, yes. If we talk um, content-wise, um, I hope um, that we can very rationally look at the now 27 case groups where we have mandatory notification and decide what we need and what we probably don't need. And, um, and most important, probably, I don't ever want to use the fax machine again. <laughs> yeah, that I that I very much understand, and I mean I can subscribe to all of of those wishes as as well. So yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. And I mean, given our audience is is I mean companies engaged in M and A, and they hear a lot from lawyers about our top tips uh, to navigate foreign investment reviews. I mean, would obviously be very curious as to what your top tips would be to companies engaged in M and A to make foreign investment screening an as pleasant as possible experience. Yeah, I don't know if I have the power to make um, FDI screening a pleasant experience, but um, I would always say uh, talk to us, um, pose questions, um, t take a lawyer, uh, best an expert in foreign trade law um, and um, I would say put things on the table. Yeah, uh, we'll find out if the target's products are on the export list, and we'll also find out if it's not Cayman Islands but Saudi Arabia, where the investor is situated. So um, I would say be open and um, get in contact with us, and then um, I hope it will be as pleasant as it can be. Yeah, and and I guess the the wish can't can't be more than that, but. Uh... I think that's that's very clear and adopting a proactive and transparent approach, I mean, certainly helps uh, to to navigate the review and to make it as as quick as possible. I mean, Florentina, very many thanks for for these extremely useful insights and and for spending the time with us and obviously also many thanks to our audience for listening. So I hope you found this podcast insightful and I hope you will also listen to our upcoming editions featuring regulators from a number of key jurisdictions, including from Asia, the EU and the US. Many thanks. Yes, it has been a pleasure.